And uh, this is the third message, the last message in this series, uh, looking at what Scripture has to say about grace and, uh, and looking at the implications of it in our lives uh, as well. Hopefully it's been helpful for you. Just three short messages, and uh, hopefully this time has been beneficial for you as we've looked at this topic, this topic of grace. Well, this past week I was in Beaufort, South Carolina, and uh, was at a funeral there at Beaufort National Cemetery. I'd never been to that cemetery before uh, at all. had never even heard of that cemetery. And, uh, and so when I found out that I had a, a funeral uh, there, then um, I went online and I was getting directions. And, and while, while I was there on the website for that particular cemetery, uh, it had a little section there uh, on their website that was just titled basically Distinguished People. And it was people who are buried in that cemetery, Beaufort National Cemetery, uh, that they consider to be distinguished. And so it's a, a military cemetery, and, uh, and there are two recipients of the Medal of Honor that are buried there in that cemetery. And, uh, and it was interesting because as I began to read through the names, one name specifically came to mind. I mean, I recognized it right off the top of my head. It's the name Ralph Johnson. And uh, I went and I, this isn't a photograph that I took. This is one that was online, but I stood there and, uh, and I recounted some of the details I knew about this particular person. As you could tell there on his headstone, he died at the age of 19, March 5th, 1968, as a result of his tour in Vietnam. Ralph Johnson was a uh, private first class and uh, there in Vietnam on this particular date on March 5th, he was in a fighting hole with two other Marines. When they were overrun by the enemy, uh, they began to take on heavy fire. A grenade was tossed into their fighting hole. And instinctively, he shouted a warning. And Ralph Johnson dove on that grenade, was killed instantly. And the two other individuals that were in that hole, their lives were ultimately spared. In fact, the remaining men, really, of that platoon were spared as a result of, of his sacrifice as well. And it was interesting because as I stood over this particular marker, uh, you know, I'm not one who, who has, you know, I don't go seeking out grave markers and have a special, you know, uh, fond memory, you know, memories of doing that. But it was just something, uh, reality, you know, just kind of weighed in on me at that point as I stood there and as I looked at his grave marker, just thinking, you know, he would be close to retirement age, right around retirement age now. And yet he has been, he's been buried now for close to 50 years. And you think about the hurt that's been left behind by he and many like him. You think about the sorrow of family members and of close friends that are left behind to deal with the loss of someone who gave themselves, gave themselves, themselves willingly. You know, for us, we're not, we're not immune, are we? Even as Christians, we're not immune to hardship invading our lives. We're not immune to difficulties coming. We're not immune to... God doesn't put a bubble around us to where you know, we're, all the difficulties of life are kept out. God doesn't operate that way. Yes, he blesses us. Yes, he does protect us. But many times he walks with us through the difficulties and the hardships and the trials that come in life. We're reminded of that sometimes uh, far too clearly because of the difficulties that invade our own lives. You know, for many here today, I mean, maybe even for you, you faced hardship even just this past week. You know, you look, at, look back over the course of these recent months in your life, or maybe even years, and you see where there have been numerous instances where you've had to walk through some very, very difficult places in life. Maybe those places were, you know, were, were, uh, were on the inside, where you've dealt with, with uh, loneliness, just an overwhelming sense of aloneness in this world. Maybe for you, it's been a sense of desperation, maybe hopelessness that has come to your life. Maybe there's things on the outside, financial issues that have come, health-related issues that have come. Maybe for you, it's something related to choices by another person, or maybe you're experiencing consequences of some of your own choices. And you're being reminded that reality sometimes is very, very difficult to deal with. 
and that life sometimes can become very, very hard. And there, there are instances in our lives where we're reminded more keenly than at other times, perhaps, that this world we live in is a very dangerous world. It's a, it's a very cruel world. It's a world that doesn't, doesn't play fairly. And, and, and for us as believers at times, if we're, if we're honest, we begin to look at some of those things that come in our lives and we begin to ask some really hard questions. We begin to ask some very serious questions of God. When you see a loved one who suffers, when you see difficult things happen to people who are, who are committed to the Lord, sometimes you begin to wonder, does, does, God, does God really care? You know? Does God even notice what's going on in this person's life or in my life? You begin to ask questions of, well, if, if I, you know, I know God does care. I know that, that he is aware, but how do I have victory you know, in the midst of some of the difficult things that I face in life? Maybe those are questions that you've wondered and you watch Christian television, and you read Christian books, and you listen to other Christians talk, and it seems like, you know, bags of miracles just seem to follow all the other people, maybe except for you. And, and, and for us, sometimes we have a mistaken notion that God is constantly delivering miracle after miracle after miracle. Listen, God does not always deliver miracles. You know, that's, that's why they're recounted in the Bible as being so out of the ordinary, because they are. They're out of the ordinary. Sometimes because of poor Christian teaching, we have this mentality that, you know, that God's just always going to toss a miracle out our way. Miracles are out of the ordinary. God does not always throw a miracle our way. We face financial hardship. God doesn't always give a you know, $10,000 check the next day in our mailbox. Sometimes he does come through in the miraculous, and I'm glad he does. But he chooses at many times not to deal with our issues that way. What he does, however, promise is to walk with us through the midst of those trials that come. And what he does promise to us is a victory that's not dependent on our circumstances. And so where we face difficult circumstances, where God's answer is not always a miracle, his answer is always grace. And that's what we see laid out in the pages of the New Testament specifically is that God's answer to the challenges of our lives, whether they be challenges on the inside, on the outside, whether they be challenges that are, that are uh, uh, so in, uh, uh, amazingly enormous in nature, or whether they be the small challenges, God's answer is always grace. And so in this series, the very first week, what we looked at two Sundays ago, was the gift of grace. That God offers grace to every single one of us, and that grace is a gift for us to receive. It's not a work that we accomplish. We don't earn God's grace we don't, you know, stack up enough good deeds, and then God says, well, here, here's your reward. I'm going to give you some grace. You know, God doesn't operate that way. A grace is a gift, and he offers it to every single person on the face of this globe, and it comes through a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ, that when we yield our lives to Christ, we lay down our sin, and we choose to follow Christ with all of our hearts, God gives us grace. Grace upon grace, the Bible speaks of it specifically, and, and that grace is a Greek word, charis, which is used over 150 times in the New Testament. It means unmerited favor. It means being treated in a way that we don't deserve, in a good way that we don't deserve, that Christ took what he didn't deserve, our, our, the wrath for our sin in his death on the cross, and he offers to those who follow him a relationship that is rooted in grace, something that we don't deserve, his righteousness, his forgiveness as a result of our faith in Christ and choosing to trust him as our Savior and Lord. So the very first week, we looked at the gift of grace. Last Sunday, we looked at the abuse of grace. The grace doesn't give us license to do whatever we want. We can't say, well, since I'm forgiven, you know, I'm just going to go out and live it up and do you know, whatever I want and you know, just kind of push the boundaries out further and further and further because since my sin is paid for, then I guess that gives me license, it gives me freedom to run my own life. No, grace doesn't give us freedom to, to, to disobey. It doesn't give us freedom to live independent lives. What grace does is it brings freedom through our obedience. 
that as we follow Christ, we begin to experience his life that he wants for us to have. And so we focused on that last week. That yes, grace is a gift, but it is a gift that can often be abused. And it is by many, many Christians who uh, live lives on our own, for our own uh, purposes, in our own strength, in our own power, for our own ends. And when we do that, we choose ultimately to, uh, to abuse grace. And so that's what we've looked at these past couple of weeks. This morning, as we finish out this series, I want to look at a message entitled, The Victory of Grace. And we're going to be focusing here in just a couple of minutes in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me give you a principle to hang on to. And, and I hope you'll jot this down because we're going to build everything around it. And we're going to see that Scripture really, start, it all starts with Scripture because this is the principle that Scripture lays out for us. And the principle is this, that whenever we face needs in our lives, whenever we face challenges, difficulties that come regardless of what they may be, those needs put handles to God's grace in our lives. Those needs that we face, and think about the needs that you may face today, whether it's a financial need or a health-related need or a family need or your marriage is in crisis or you know, your children are not following you know, your instruction, your direction, and you're the ones that, one that's suffering as a parent because of that. Whatever your need may be, if you're a follower of Christ, listen, your needs that you face put handles to God's grace in your life. Let me, let me just show this. You already know this principle to be true, but I just kind of brought a little something to, um, to demonstrate this. All right, this is out of our kitchen back there, you know, 100 feet from here. And uh, this is just an ordinary pot that you'd put on the stove if you wanted to heat water, if you wanted to cook some big gigantic thing, a soup or whatever you wanted to make, you would use this. Now imagine you're boiling water, okay? Or imagine you're, let's say you're cooking, uh, you're cooking chili. How about that? It's off the top of my head. Uh, we'll say chili. So you're cooking chili and you've got it in there. You're fixing it all up. This is sitting on the stove. It is scorching hot, right? It's just about ready to eat. And there it sits. Imagine if this thing didn't have handles to it. Okay? And it's time for chili. And you're like, all right, everybody, let's eat. And you come on over like, you know, pick this thing up. What's it going to do? It's going to send you to the ER. That's what it's going to do. Okay? It's not going to be a good finish for you. Chili is not going to be the first thing you're thinking of. Burning up hot is going to be the first thing you're going to be thinking of. Right? That's what you're going to experience. The reason this thing is crafted with well-designed handles is because it allows you not just to look at what's inside and say, boy, that looks really good. You know, I hear it's really good whenever you eat chili. I've heard people talk about chili. I've heard that it tastes really, really good. I've heard if you put crackers on it and put cheese in it and that kind of thing, I've heard that it tastes great. I've heard on a really cold day, boy, it just warms you up. I, you know, I, that's what I've heard. Well, have you had it? No, no, I never had any before, but it sure is good to look at it. And I wish I could somehow, you know, pick this up and actually, you know, serve it up to some people. You know, what, what do the handles do? They allow you to move from just looking at it on the inside and doing what you need to with it. Right? You can take this over the table, you can scoop it out with something that has a handle to it, by the way. You don't just dig your hand down in there. You know? If you're cooking something in a, you know, in a pan, it's got a handle to it. There's a reason all these things have handles, right? The reason they have handles is because it takes it out of the realm of just looking at it from a distance and places it into the realm of your experience. It enables you to use this for good. Here's what grace does. What grace does is that grace puts, or our needs put handles to God's grace in our lives so that we can't stand back and just look at God's grace and say, you know what? I've heard God's grace is really amazing. Isn't there a song about that? Amazing grace, something like that. Yeah. You know, I've heard God's grace is really amazing. And I hear people talk about how God's grace is amazing in their own lives. And, you know, I, I, I listen to the Christian radio station, and I hear songs about grace. I go to church, and I hear people talk about grace. You know, as I stand back and look at grace, boy, I think it'd be kind of neat to just experience grace in my own life. You see, without the needs of our lives, not talking about grace and salvation, I'm talking about grace in the midst of our day-to-day -day living. 
It's our needs that put handles to God's grace. So that God's grace begins then to be functional in our lives. We don't just stand at a distance and say, I hear God's grace is amazing. No, we're able to say, God's grace is amazing. Why is that? Because of the needs that I've faced. That's why we say that. And whenever we face needs in our lives, whenever we face difficulties that come in our lives, those difficulties, those needs, those challenges, those hardships are what put handles to God's grace in our lives so that it's there that we can respond rightly. We'll see what that looks like in just a second. And it's there that we can step away and move through those difficulties and look back and say, God's grace was available for me. And it was because the needs that we faced put handles to his grace, made it usable in our lives, enabled us to experience it for ourselves. Second Corinthians chapter 12, here's what's happening. The greatest missionary that ever walked this earth, his name was Paul, is writing. He's writing a letter. You know, we spent a year in First Corinthians here uh, about six months or so ago. I think we finished up that series. And Second uh, Corinthians is kind of the follow-up letter. Uh, there's a lot of history involved there that I won't go into this morning. But Second Corinthians is a letter that the greatest missionary who ever walked this earth wrote to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth. And what he's doing here is he's talking about in this context, a vision that he had, that Paul had, that he didn't even fully understand himself. Look at what it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's pick up in verse 2. He's speaking of himself here. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows such a man was called up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was called up into paradise. That, that's an expression, he, Paul is speaking here, of heaven. He says, and I was called up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. All right, so let's pause right there. Paul, the greatest missionary who ever lived, is speaking of an experience 14 years before he wrote this letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. Now, he wrote this letter, most scholars would say, around the year 55, 56, A.D. 55, 56, somewhere in there, all right? So 14 years before that, Paul has this experience. It's an experience that he cannot even fully explain himself. He doesn't know what was I, I mean, did God call me up somehow like my whole body up there, or, you know, was it somehow different? Was it just in spirit? I mean, how did God do this? Paul can't even explain, but what he knows was what he experienced, all right? And Paul says, he calls me up to paradise, calls me up to heaven. And, and I heard there inexpressible words. It's interesting. Let me just say this. This isn't the scope of the message. This is just kind of free. Whenever you see movies, whenever you read books, and they instantly become bestsellers, and it's talking about another person who went to heaven, and they sat down and drank coffee with Jesus, and they laughed and told stories and jokes and all those kind of things, and they make a movie about it. doesn't matter if it's a child who did that or if it's an adult who did that. Listen, be very, very cautious okay? Just be very, very cautious. In fact, I would say, this is just me, think what you want. I would say, don't even spend the time purchasing the book, purchasing the ticket, going to the movie. Listen, you've already got a book that talks about a place called heaven. It already talks very clearly in a way that you can fully trust and bank on as to how to get there. Even in the book of Revelation, it tells some physical description of what it's going to look like there. This is enough <laughs> for now. Till you get there, you can fill up the rest of your journal if you want, but this is enough for now. now here, here's the reason that I'm very skeptical about those things. It's because when the greatest missionary who ever walked this earth was called up to heaven, and he didn't even fully understand how that happened. 
And he was given things he himself says in the inerrant word of God that they were inexpressible words that he can't fully express. And then we've got somebody coming along that nobody's ever heard of until he wrote the book talking about his experience in heaven. And he's suddenly a New York Times bestseller making money hand over fist as a result of it. Listen, I'm very, very skeptical. When the greatest missionary who walked said, I cannot even describe this. I mean, God would not even let him describe it. Now, John would in the book of Revelation. Paul could not even describe. The whole context of chapter 12 is him not describing what he experienced when God called him up. It's almost as though he hates to even go there. The very first verse, Paul's saying, you know, boasting is necessary. It's not profitable, but I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. The context of the need for this letter to begin with really calls Paul to have to go there. He didn't seem to be real comfortable going to what he experienced there in heaven. He doesn't even describe it. So you just got to be very careful, just very, very careful whenever we hear of others who come along with stories that want to give their perspective. They died and went to heaven and somehow came back and even though we really don't see a whole lot of that in Scripture. So anyway, that was free. All right, let's move on to the next, next verse, seven. verse 7. Here's where Paul's going. Paul's going to grace. He says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Paul says, because of what I experienced there, because of it be, being so amazingly overwhelming, Paul says, because of this, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. Why? Because pride is, is, the, is the source of every fall in our lives. Paul says, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Paul is very, very, he, he is very pointed in his language here. The Greek word for thorn is a Greek word that actually could be translated stake, uh, S-T-A-K-E. Paul, this isn't just a little minor inconvenience Paul's talking about here. Paul is talking about a major challenge in his life. And scholars have argued this for centuries. Paul didn't say what it was. Some have said it's poor eyesight. Uh, some have said that it could be malaria. There have been uh, dozens of things that have been posted as to what God, uh, uh, what Paul perhaps experienced here. We just don't know. But Paul faces something here that was a tremendous challenge in his life. Verse 8. He says, concerning this, I implored, could we say I begged, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. It was so significant. Paul knew how to face hardship. And this is no rookie. I mean, this hardship, this was not Paul's first rodeo, right, with, with, uh, with hardship. I mean, he had been abandoned. He had been shipwrecked. He had been bitten <laughs> he'd been by snakes by the time his, his uh, poisonous snakes by the time his, his ministry is over. Uh, he would have been tossed in prison, I mean, uh, uh, stoned. He would have been uh, uh, whipped. I mean, it, Paul had experienced virtually everything you can experience in regards to persecution. But for this one, it was of such a nature where three times he begs God to take it away from him. Three times he begs. And God says no. Two places in the New Testament of which I'm aware where someone asks for God to do something and God says no. One is in this context. The other is in the context of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. In other words, if there is a way around, another way to accomplish the salvation of humanity, let's do this. But nevertheless, your will, not my will, be done. Jesus said, Father, if there's another way, the Father said no. And off to the cross, Jesus went. So what is it that seems to be in play here? It seems as though when God says no, it doesn't mean he didn't respond. It just simply means he's up to something that we can't always see. In the case of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus prayed, Father, take this cup from me, the Father said no. 
the Father was up to something bigger. And that bigger is still accomplishing itself today as God continues to get glory from people around this world who come to a saving relationship with him through who? Through Jesus. Because of what? His sacrifice on the cross. And so Paul asks God to take this thorn in the flesh, this challenge, this difficulty from him. And God says no. Look at what it says, the first part of verse 9. And he, God, has said to me, my grace, there's that word again, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. It's as though God is saying, Paul, it is your weakness, it is your challenge, it is your need that ultimately puts handles to my grace. It is your need that magnifies and brings out for others to see and for you to experience my, my amazing undeserving, fully sufficient grace in your life. To the point to where Paul is so struck by this particular truth, look at what he says further in verse 9 and in verse 10. He says, most gladly, therefore, Paul says, I will rather boast about my weaknesses. Now, wait a minute, Paul. Weren't you previously asking God, begging God three different occasions to take it away? He says, now, no, I'll rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, he says, then I am strong. You see, whenever a believer faces a hardship, God never bails out on us. If you're going through a hardship today, regardless of what the hardship may be, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, even if you feel like God hasn't provided what you wanted, you're much like Paul. God, I've asked you over and over and over to do this. It seems like you won't, you won't take this away from me. It seems like you won't come through. Have you bailed out on me? Do you not care? Have you abandoned me? God, what is going on here? Doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. Doesn't mean God has bailed out on you if he doesn't pull you immediately out of the distress in your life. God never abandons the believer. He already promises us that. Never will I forsake you. Never will I abandon you, God says. He promises us that. And so if we're in the midst of hardship and we pray for God to take us out of the hardship or to take the hardship away and God does not do that, what does that mean? It means that he must be then up to something bigger. And until the bigger comes, <laughs> he has given us his grace, which he says and promises is fully sufficient for whatever our need may be. And it's going to be that grace that puts handle, or those needs that put handles to God's grace so that we then aren't just looking at life from a distance. We're able to say, man, I've experienced God's grace because here's where the bottom fell out for me. Here's where the wheels came off in my life. Here, here was the need that came up in my life. And though I didn't enjoy it, and though I wouldn't be the first to raise my hand to ask for it again, here's what God did. Here's how he showed his grace, and here's the result. And it's our needs it's our needs that put handles to God's grace in our lives. If you're going through experiencing God, just recently you read about the story of Lazarus in the New Testament. How Mary and Martha are weeping. They said to Jesus when Jesus got there, you know, Lazarus had died, been in the tomb for four days. I mean, Jesus is God for goodness sake, right? I mean, he, he could have healed him. Mary and Martha had seen Jesus probably heal on numerous occasions. And Jesus gets there. Four days later, Lazarus is in the tomb. He died. And they say, Lord, if you'd have been here, you could have healed him. Je Jesus didn't show up in, in time to heal him. He chose not to heal him. So what was he up to? Does that mean he abandoned them? No, he didn't abandon them. What does it mean? Uh, it, the, here, here's what it said in the experience of God material. I love the way it expresses this. 
that it seemed as though the Lord was up to something in Mary and Martha's life to the degree to where they wouldn't just see him do another healing, now they were going to see him replace death with life in a way that only God could do. And where it seemed as though Jesus was absent, where Jesus was off the property, where he was being strangely silent, in reality what he was doing was preparing for something that they had more than likely never, ever witnessed before. He was preparing them for a deeper experience with himself. You know, we don't know the beauty of rescue, do we? Until we're about to drown. <laughs> we don't know the beauty of what it means to be genuinely, authentically rescued until we are in a circumstance where we are about to die. For the person who speaks of rescue from a distance Oh, yeah, I've seen movies about these amazing rescues. Hey, that's one thing. But for the person who was going under and who maybe did go under in whatever way and someone reached in and pulled them up to life again, they speak about rescue a lot differently, don't they? Because they've experienced it. It was their near-death experience that put handles to rescue. And it's our difficulties, it's our challenges, it's our weaknesses, it's our hardships, it's the, 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 the hard times in our lives that put handles to God's grace. And listen, when we go through times of difficulty in our lives, even, even difficulty of such a nature where the world looks and says, I don't know how you can make it through this. No, we don't ask for those times. But in the midst of a hard-fallen world, when those times come, and yes, God for whatever reason allows them, I believe one of the reasons is so that it helps us to understand that his grace really is enough. That his unmerited favor, that him treating us in a way that we don't deserve when he rescues, when he, when he shows up, when he brings us through, that that grace really is enough for us. That our joy is really not dependent on circumstances. That our joy really is dependent, like scripture says, on the Lord. So what do we do then if we're in the midst of that hardship, if we're, if we're facing those difficulties where we look at them and say, you know, I don't, how can I have victory in this? What, what do we do? Let me give you a couple of, a couple of passages and we're going to begin to close. One is in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. You, you don't have to turn there. You can see it on the overhead. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. I think the first thing we can do when we face hardships, regardless of what the nature of it may be, is that we need to take that to the Lord. We need to take that to God. We need to surrender that hardship to him. Look at what it says here. Look at this amazing invitation. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. Now, this isn't speaking to every person on the planet. This is speaking to the person who has a relationship with God, who's placed their faith in Christ. It says then, let, let, those, let that person draw near with confidence to the throne of what? The throne of grace. There's that word again. To the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and we may, we may find grace to help us in our time of need. Why would God offer grace? Because his grace is sufficient. Does it immediately take away the hurt? Does it immediately take away the circumstances and transform them? No, it doesn't. What it does is, is it transforms the person in the midst of the circumstances. That's how his grace operates. So when we find ourselves in the midst of a very difficult, trying time, first thing I believe we need to do is we need to take that need specifically to him. And then the second thing we need to do is to take heart ultimately in his provision of grace we need to take heart 
in his provision of grace. Look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5 in this passage of Scripture, verse 10. I love this passage. It says, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace. Remember the very first week we talked about how grace always tracks back to God. Every, every demonstration of grace in our lives ultimately tracks back to God. He's the God of all grace. It says, after you've suffered for a little while, this God of all grace, he says, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect and confirm and strengthen and establish you. What that says there is that we serve a God through our relationship with Christ who is always present. He is never absent. We serve a God through our relationship with Christ who is always at work. He is never at a place where he's taking a break from his work in our lives. And even in the most trying of times, even in the most difficult of times, what he is doing is that he is providing grace for us to walk in, grace that is sufficient for every need. He welcomes us and invites us to the throne of grace to, rec to, to receive what we need in the midst of hardship. And it says that once we've come through that, at whatever point in time where God knows the time is right, it says he himself, he will not farm it out to someone else. He will not provide it through a pastor or a leader or another person. He himself, it says, will perfect and confirm and strengthen and establish us in the midst of our trying circumstances. And the reason he can do this is because he is the God of all grace. You see, grace is not just for salvation. It's not just us crying out to Jesus and confessing our sin and him forgiving us and saving us. And that, well, my gra grace is done. I, guess I just got the whole little bucket load of grace I need in my life. No, God applies his grace throughout our lives as believers. And sometimes the times when we are most keenly aware of it is when our needs have put handles to it in our lives. And according to that passage in 1 Peter 5, it's when we come through the trials and difficulties of our lives and we look back and we see how he not only was there, but he led us and carried us throughout the way. So what difficulty do you face today? What challenge is it that you face in your life? Is it job-related? Health crisis? Health need? Is it relational? Is it something involving a relationship or, or your parents, involving your kids, involving a spouse? What, what, what challenge is it that you face today? And based on what Scripture has shown us this morning, what then is the right response in the midst of your challenge in regards to who God is. Is it to grow angry? Is it to shake a fist? No. It is to take that need that we face and to bring it before him, the throne of grace, and to commit it to him. And as we do that, it is the next response then is that we trust in his prevailing grace. Prevailing means it wins. <laughs> prevailing grace that dominates every circumstance in our lives. And we walk one step at a time, even through the valley, knowing that he's with us. And that his grace will be sufficient. It will provide what we need. And as we come through, we'll have a story to tell. You know, the first chapter of the book of 2 Corinthians is Paul saying to the believers there that we must be faithful to comfort those around us with the same comfort that we ourselves have received. And it's when we come through the other side and God has provided and we found out by our experience that his grace really is enough, that we have a story to tell.
and it's a story that gives him all the glory. So what challenge do you face today? Do you believe that God's grace really is enough? And imagine what it would be like if tomorrow when you woke up, if your day, your, your mentality, your perspective, your outlook, your mood, imagine if tomorrow when you woke up, all those things were not affected by your circumstance, but rather they were affected by your trust in the God of all grace and that he's going to be there for you. Hey, do you have a relationship with him that's rooted in grace? If you don't, you can have that starting today when you invite Jesus himself to come in, forgive you, and take over. And if you've done that, listen, all the grace that you need is at your disposal. He invites you to come into his presence, to trust him, and to walk in that grace. And as you do, you'll find handles because of your need to the grace the Bible speaks of. You'll find handles to that grace. And you'll begin to speak of it out of your own experience because of his greatness in your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God who, who is incredibly good to us. Thank you, God, that you're, that you're one who deals out of your grace towards us. And Lord, that even in the midst of hardship, Lord, you, you promise and you offer victory to us that's not dependent on our circumstances. And Lord, that we can wake up tomorrow and for some here, Lord, the circumstances that they have gone through and that they have faced recently, Lord, have been very, very daunting, very difficult. And yet we can wake up tomorrow and those circumstances don't have to chart the course for our day. Lord, we can trust that your grace is enough. And so God, we pray today thanking you for your grace, grace that comes when we, when we are, uh, are first trusting Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. But thank you that that grace doesn't end in our salvation but you offer it in the midst of every circumstance we face. And I pray today, God, all over this room this morning, that for those who face challenges and hardships and difficulties, Lord, I pray that it's those needs that will begin to put handles to your grace, that they'll trust you and that they'll walk with you through those challenges. And Lord, it's not about just putting on a happy face. It's not about trying to believe something that's not true. Lord, your grace really is enough. And Lord, you really do walk with us through the challenges of our lives for those who know you. And God, as we come through the other side, we find that you really are a God who shows up in perfect time to accomplish what only a God like you can do. And so Lord, help us to trust you, help us to walk in victory. And Lord, for the decisions that need to be made today to help us to do that, I pray that we'd make them. And Lord, for those who don't know you, that today, right where they sit, they would give their lives to Jesus Christ for the very first time. And so bless this time of decision, we pray. We thank you for what you'll do through it. And it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Let's